0: All right, and we're going to welcome up Dr. Hornbeek today to be our speaker. Hey, good morning. Is there anybody here that's willing to admit that they're a Detroit Lions fan? Yes. Okay, we got, we got one. So um, my condolences, I mean, they got farther than anybody else in the NFC North, right? Well, congratulations. Congratulations. Um, Good to see you all this morning. I've been looking forward to this time that we have uh, together at the start of every semester. And this morning, I'm gonna talk about something that's really important, something that's near and dear to my heart, and I talk about often, and that's leadership. And not just any kind of leadership, but living a life of influence and impact in a secular world. And so to help us, uh, I'm going to share some thoughts this morning on the life and leadership of Daniel. But first, I want you to think back on your first day of school. Not your first day this semester, not your first day of Northwestern, your very first day of school. Kindergarten. Okay, I was in Mrs. Forrell's afternoon PM kindergarten class at Lowell Elementary School in 1973. And I don't know about you, but I was the third of fourth kids in our family, and so I was actually excited for kindergarten. How many of you were excited for your first day of kindergarten? Yeah, it was yeah, it was like the best day of your life. You finally, you know, entered adulthood, right? Well, I was excited for kindergarten until picture day. Anybody remember picture day? Uh, Okay, I'm gonna show you, uh, uh, this is gonna be a moment of vulnerability. I mean, you guys are my friends. Uh, This is gonna be a moment of, of maybe a slight moment of humiliation, but uh, this is a moment of vulnerability. I'm gonna show you my kindergarten class picture and I want you to pick out me. Okay, this is 1973. Dig the outfits. I mean, this is Mrs. Forel's afternoon PM kindergarten class. Okay, we're going to, I'm going to give you some help. I'm going to zoom in. Seriously. Like, is this not a vulnerability for you guys? Um, the first thing I want to say is I didn't have anything to do with how I'm dressed. This was the worst day in my life up to this point. Uh, my parents dressed me up in German lederhosen and a bow tie for school picture. Um, I was in kindergarten. I have an older brother. He was in third grade. And he also wore German led- We're not even German. We're Dutch. I don't know where my parents got off with this, but I mean, this is... You can get in trouble for stuff like this. Um, there's a circle around me, but um, there's also a circle around uh, this cute little girl, um, Sarah Dawson, um, who I had a serious crush on. So I had one goal in this, in this picture, and that was to be seated next to Sarah Dawson for my school picture for the class day. I had one goal up to this point in my long educational career and that was to marry Sarah Dawson. And uh, thank goodness I didn't. (laughs) The only only thing that stood in the way between me and Sarah Dawson was my German lederhosen and a bow tie. I mean, (laughs) so here's the thing. Like a lot of kids, elementary school was rough on me. Maybe some of you can relate to this. I was small. I lacked courage, I lacked confidence, uh, but I had this going for me. I was maybe slightly above average intelligence. I learned quickly how to make friends. I mean, something like this, you either get beat up or you 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 make friends quickly. And I was competitive. And over time, I learned how to leverage all of these three things to my advantage. Unfortunately, by the time I was in high school, I'd used uh, three, three things to make some forgettable choices. Maybe you can relate. By the time I was in high school, I was anything but a leader. When I became a Christian in college, God began to work on me, and in my character, and my relationships. And that's something that I'll continue to work on for the rest of my life. Okay, you can take the picture down, seriously. Like the, okay, thank you. <laughs> but I am fundamentally the same person that I was in kindergarten. And over time, I began to learn a few things about leadership. You see, God designs us, and then over time, he forms us. And he forms us to prepare us for a calling that he has on our life, and a calling that is beyond anything any of us could imagine in life. And that's how it was with Daniel. Look, I am nothing like Daniel. Most of us are nothing like Daniel. Daniel's one of the most complex and remarkable people in the Bible. And the tests of his faith, which we're not gonna spend a lot of time on today, the tests of his faith were incomprehensible. We read the Bible stories and we read over them like they're just, you know, it's like a children's book. Like VeggieTales, if you ever seen the story of you know Daniel and VeggieTales, um, his life was remarkable and incomprehensible. But here's what you and I, every single one of us, have in common with Daniel. You see, I believe deeply that God is calling you and me to lead courageously in our world today. A deeply secular world that we are very familiar way with. And in reality, this world that we live in is not too different from the world that Daniel lived in. So this morning, I'm going to describe the world that Daniel lived in and then give you four strategies that come straight from Daniel's life for living a life of influence in a secular world. So we're gonna bounce around between the book of Daniel and also the book of Jeremiah, so hang with me. So let me give you a few, a little bit of background and history on Daniel. So Daniel was part of a Jewish exile from Israel to Babylon. So if you know anything about Babylon, Babylon was a godless, it was a secular, it was a hedonistic, humanistic city and empire, both the city of Babylon and the Babylonian empire. It was ruled by a godless, secular king that you have heard of, King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, how did Daniel become an exile in Babylon? Well, let's look at the books of Daniel and Jeremiah. I'll pull a few passages out of each of these. Well, the book of Daniel, which of course was written by Daniel, anchors the events of his life in history and historical events. If I said to you, hi, my name is Corbin Hornbeek and I was born in Bellingham, Washington, that wouldn't mean very much to you. You know who I am and where I was born. But if I said, hi, my name is Corbin Hornbeek and I was born in 1968 during the hippie movement and the sexual revolution and during the height of the Vietnam War protests, now I have anchored myself history. And you have a bit of an idea of not only where I was born, but what context in history my life began. And that's exactly what Daniel does. Let me read to you Daniel 1 and verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Well, what happened next? We're gonna read about a series of exiles that helps us understand Daniel's world where he rose to the highest echelons of political power where he eventually held positions of leadership and influence, not only in the city of Babylon, but across all of Babylonia. So to understand Daniel's world and his leadership, we're gonna look at a few passages in Daniel and then Jeremiah. So let's read on. Daniel 1, verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure in the house of his God. So this is the first wave of exiles that were taken from Jerusalem into Babylon. It included the king and the ceremonial vessels designed specifically for worship in the temple, and the sanctuary of Yahweh, God. What is Daniel saying? Total humiliation. He's saying this, we defeated you and your king and we defeated your God and we moved them all to Babylon. But it gets worse, let's read on. Daniel chapter one, verses three to five. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without blemish, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. This is the second wave of exiles. Imagine... If you were one of those living in Jerusalem and you're seeing your king being exiled, articles from the house of worship being exiled, and then this wave of young men. It included more members of the royal family and nobility, and it included these young men, probably used in the 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old range. Let's dig a little deeper. What is Daniel telling us? Not only did we defeat your king, not only did we defeat your God, we've got your rulers, we've got your nobility and all of their wealth. And by the way, we also have your very best young men, all of your future leaders. If you want to obliterate a society, this is the best way to do it. And then he goes on to say, and we're going to completely re-educate all of your young men and reprogram them in the language and literature of the Chaldeans. What on earth does that mean? I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail here. Let me tell you a few things about the Chaldeans. They were feared for their military aggressiveness. They were famous for being highly educated in literature and sciences. And they were especially known for their advanced study of astronomy and belief in astrology. In fact, they kept detailed astronomical records for 360 years. They were called wise men, sound familiar? Remember the wise men who visited Jesus from the east? These are wise men that were quite likely influenced by the detailed astronomical records of the Chaldeans. Let's move on. This is the world that Daniel and the exiles were brought into, but it gets worse. Let's flip back to the book of Jeremiah who gives us some additional details about these exiles. Who were they? Jeremiah was a prophet who remained in Jerusalem. He was not part of the exiles, but he wrote a letter to the exiles, which included Daniel and other Israelites. I'm gonna read Jeremiah chapter 29, verses one to two. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and artisans had gone into exile. So Jeremiah gives us this big, long list of all these people that have been taken from Jerusalem, been exiled to Babylon, but he notes two additional groups of people, craftsmen and artisans. Track with me here. What does this tell us? We defeated your God. We took your royal family, your nobility, all their wealth. We've got all your future leaders. We're re-educating them. We also have your craftsmen, and artisan, the metal workers, is translated. Why is this important to note? Well, these are the people who instead of building the glorious city of God, Jerusalem, have been constricted into service to build the city and culture of Babylon, to create a glorious tribute to Babylon's hedonism, humanism, and to celebrate their secular, godless culture. Sound familiar? So this is the world into which Daniel has been called to lead and live a life of influence and impact. And this is the world into which you and I must also lead and live a life of influence and impact. So I wanna read one more critically important part of Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. Because in this letter he tells the exiles exactly how he wants them to live in Babylon. And I encourage you to go back and read the entire chapter 29, because there's a verse in there that we all know, chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Don't read that verse until you've read the entire chapter. It'll blow your mind and it'll change your whole understanding of what that verse means. So let me read this verse, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 7, also Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, Babylon, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Come on now. You think this is true? Jeremiah is telling the Israel, Israeli, the Israel exiles, the Jewish exiles, to seek the peace and prosperity, that word is shalom, that word that literally means the welfare, the peace, the complete wellness of God for Babylon. This is what you and I are called to do. So let's think about this for a minute. If this doesn't rattle your cage a little bit, if this doesn't wake you up and think about your life a little bit differently, I don't know what will. I want to talk about the next part here. And the question is how did Daniel lead? I'm going to give you four strategies. We don't have time to go into all the verses here, but I encourage you to to study the life and leadership of Daniel. Daniel spent his entire life in Babylon, he never went back to Jerusalem. So let me give you four strategies from the life of Daniel for living and leading a life of influence in a secular world. Strategy number one, theological certainty. Daniel knew nature, the character, and the attributes of God were unchanging. And that allowed him to live a life of unwavering faith. See, the fact that they were in exile didn't change anything about the fundamental nature or character of God. And you and I find ourselves in situations all the time that might challenge our question of God's presence or his goodness or his power. God, why am I in this situation? Why am I in exile? Why do I seem to be in this situation that I can't get myself out of? You have to know that the situation you're in doesn't change anything about the fundamental nature of God. As difficult as it might be, it doesn't change God one bit. God has you right where he wants you. And he's calling you and he's calling me to a life of unwavering faith. You see, the exile in Babylon was all part of God's plan. If you read throughout both Daniel's letter and Jeremiah's letter, it reminds us that it was God who took them into exile. That was part of God's plan. It wasn't just because they lost a war, that was part of God's plan. Okay, number two moral clarity. You and I live in a world that is morally unhinged from any sense of objective truth or moral absolutes. You you guys live in this every day. You live in a world that tells you whatever your truth is, speak your truth. And that takes you off any sense of true north. You see, to live and lead in Babylon that God is calling you and me into, you and I have got to know where to draw the line. We have to know where to draw the line. You see, not everything is black and white. You'll be faced with moral choices every day in the workplace, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. You will be faced with moral choices, you must know the difference between objective moral truth that can never change and moral freedom that allows you to live a successful life in Babylon. Strategy number three, intellectual curiosity. You see, when you have theological certainty, you won't shy away from learning the language and literature of the Chaldeans. What does that mean? In today's world, you'll have to know not only what you believe and what is true, but what others believe who have little or no knowledge of biblical truth. You've got to know both sides of the equation if you're going to live a life and lead a life of influence in Babylon. But understand this, while everything in the Bible is true, not everything that is true in the world is in the Bible. And so you've got to be a person, I've got to be a person of great intellectual curiosity, constantly learning, constantly be seeking and seekers of truth. Be intellectually curious. Be a seeker of truth. Develop better arguments than those who are not anchored to a sense of moral and absolute truth. If you've got theological certainty, it'll give you incredible freedom to explore, to learn, to engage with the world of ideas in order to influence how people think, how people act, and how people live their lives. Okay, strategy number four, cultural flexibility. You see, Daniel would have never survived Babylon without being culturally flexible. Not only did he serve under King Nebuchadnezzar, but he served under three more kings, two Babylonian kings, two Persian kings, four in total. Develop your theological certainty, have moral clarity, be intellectually curious And I'm gonna say this, enjoy culture. Enjoy the culture in which you live. What does this mean in today's world? Let me give you a few ideas. Go to museums, go to art exhibits, go to concerts, try the food, build friendships with people who speak different languages, who come from different cultures and have different customs. Enjoy the good things in our city. Yes, there are plenty of things to avoid. I want to challenge you to live like Daniel and immerse yourself in this culture. There are a lot of things to enjoy. If you learn to engage with the culture, the times that we live in, you can become a person of influence and impact If you hide in your corner, sit on your lily pad, uh, that will be very difficult to do. But do so with the idea that you are called to be also an agent of cultural transformation, pointing people to the hope and the certainty of Christ who came into our world and I love how Eugene Peterson says this in the message. I'm not a huge fan of the message, but I love how he says this in John when he talks about Jesus and his incarnation. He says he moved into the neighborhood. <clears throat> what a great way of describing the incarnation. Jesus moved into our neighborhood. We're about out of time here. I wanna ask you a few questions. This is a time of reflection. I wanna ask you to think about your life and your leadership. Like, look, I get it. There have been times where my wife and I have thought, let's just move to like central Kansas somewhere, buy 3,000 acres and you know, just kind of of turn off the TV, get rid of the internet um, and live a nice, protected, quiet life. Um, I would make a terrible farmer. So forget that, that's off the table but I get that. There is a tendency and a temptation to want to retreat, to want to separate. And I'm looking across this room and I'm looking at each one of you right now and I'm looking at each of you with a sense of God's call on your life. An anointing that each one of you has from the Lord. To be called as a, a man or a woman To impact this world, to be someone who is a person of influence, someone who lives a life like Daniel, yes, you are going to be challenged in your faith. I've not been thrown into a literal den of lions, but some of those things may come to us where we feel like our faith is on the line and we may pay a price for it. And you know what? You might, I might, we might pay a price for it. I believe firmly that God is calling each and every one of you and me into this world to be the light of Christ, to live the life of Christ, to engage with the world that he's called us to. So let me ask you a couple questions. Are you struggling maybe in your faith to even know where God is calling you? Maybe that's where you are this morning. Are you feeling like maybe you lack courage? Are you wondering if you have your convictions um, anchored? Maybe you're not sure how to cross over into another person's world and step into culture, to step into the world that is out there for us to enjoy. I want to take just a few seconds. We're about out of time here. I just want to take a few seconds of, of quiet and just ask you to reflect on that. For some of you who are feeling like, I'm just not that kind of a leader. Um, remember the kid in kindergarten wearing hosens and a bow tie. Um, God has a plan for your life that you can't, see in full right now <clears throat> that will unfold over time. Let's just take a moment and have a moment of silence. <clears throat> our Father, we are so thankful. Thank you that you left heaven and you moved into our neighborhood. Lord, thank you that you left your throne and you moved into our hearts. Lord, for those in this room here within the sound of my voice who are even questioning where they are in their faith, Lord, would you speak to them in this moment? Lord, for those who are questioning their convictions, questioning how you're calling and leading. Father, I pray that you would speak to each person in this room through their faculty, through their professors, through their friends, uh, through their community groups on campus. Lord, would you reveal your plan and your purposes for each person in this room to live a life like Daniel, to be called to be a person of influence and impact in this world. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you first loved us. I pray for each one of my friends in this room and ask that you would guide them and lead them and speak to their hearts. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, guys.